Hey, this is Tim McCurdy, and welcome to Vinepair's Cocktail College, a weekly deep dive into classic cocktails that goes beyond the recipe with America's best bartenders. Well, would you look at that? We're 50 plus episodes into Cocktail College now, but today marks the first time we've covered a drink named after a higher education institution. So what can we say about the Harvard cocktail? Is this simply a cognac Manhattan? Or are there other more notable aspects of its preparation and tweaks we can explore? I'll leave it up to today's guest to elaborate on that. That guest being the esteemed bartender and author Thad Vogler, who's also the founder of San Francisco's Bar Agricole and a leading craft spirits authority. It should come as no surprise, therefore, to learn that our conversation on today's cocktail takes unexpected yet worthy detours into topics such as terroir, additives, and the wonder of small-scale grower spirits producers. If that all sounds a tad uh, intellectual, well, it is the Harvard Cocktail Listener. And today's episode, as always, is brought to you by the Vinepair Podcast Network. Let's do it. We're kicking it off. It's the Cocktail College podcast coming at you from both coasts today. Myself here, Tim McCurdy in New York, and I'm thrilled to be joined by Thad Vogler, who's over there on the West Coast. It's very early there in San Francisco. How's it going? Hello. Uh, it's great. Yeah, it's a beautiful morning. Second cup of coffee. Good. Nice. I didn't ask you that. Usually when we're getting guests levels beforehand and we're just figuring out things on the mic here, I'm like, what? how did you take your coffee this morning? Sometimes we get some crazy bastards out there who are like, I don't drink coffee, but it's, I'm, I'm glad to hear you're on your second. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Big, big coffee fan. If I were going to do it again, I might even be in the, in the coffee business. It's, I mean, there's a lot of similarities, right? Obviously there are things that you drink, but or maybe it's a bit closer to wine, but I've, have you ever done a, a a coffee cupping experience? For sure. I love it. Yeah, I love it. Right. I figure that's probably a stupid question. Yeah. Um, I find that very similar to tasting wine. I don't know. There's something very um, meditative I about it. Yeah, it is meditative. I um, Yeah. And I think that with coffee, like issues of dilution and temperature and acidity, it just gets it's it's all wine as well, but it, it all gets kind of stripped away. And uh, yeah, mm-hmm. gr- good baristas make great bartenders. That's for sure. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. That, that making this exactly the same thing a combination of of water and solid, you know, hundreds yeah. of times that they get really tunneled into those questions of concentration and dilution and temperature and um, yeah, acidity, sugar. Um, so repeated action, yeah, service, yeah. No? yeah, yeah, I can a, see that, and a pleasant lack of um, ego with baristas compared to bartenders because that whole <laughs> that whole uh, facet of you know creation is is removed. Like no one's coming up with recipes, though I suppose they're coming up with different ratios of water and things like that. But, but, uh, yeah. So we haven't had the uh, the starista yet. That one's yet to come. <laughs> celebrity barista (laughs) well you know what it's good it's good that we're getting intellectual right now about coffee because today's cocktail is the harvard so 
How'd you like that little transition? Incredible. You kept us, <laughs> kept us keeping us on track. That's it it. Our work is done here today. Uh, yeah. No, but it is the Harvard cocktail. Um, obviously, the university will be universally known. But the cocktail, how about you outline for us what's in it for those who have never heard of it or never tried one or whose maybe their, their memory's lacking a little on this one? Yeah, absolutely. Um, never really found steady rotation that I've seen in a lot of different bars, but it is... Um, I mean, in its first uh, manifestation or written, um, it's uh, cognac, vermouth, sweet vermouth, Italian vermouth, uh, Angostura bitters, and um, soda water. So it's sort of, um, you know, brandy Manhattan with a splash of soda. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's the first version of it in writing is, um, you know, modern American drinks, the, the Holland House book. Um, which is 1895. Um, and it's, it's, it's kind of a, it's that time where like seltzer is, is an amazing ingredient, right? That, that, that in the late 19th century. So a splash of seltzer then would be very, very special. Seltzer is ubiquitous now and, and, and doesn't yeah. have that, that kind of shine, you know what I mean? So I always, it's, it's funny that it's like I say, it's something something special. So sort of like um, another of my favorite cocktails is uh, the Boothby, which is a great San Francisco drink. Um, and that is basically a Manhattan, a rich Manhattan with a, a float of, of champagne. So, mm-hmm. that, and that's from the early 20th century. So that, that, Ooh. that addition, that addition of, uh, you know, effervescence. So that's the first version of it. Yeah. And, and, you know, interesting, basically, like you say, like a, a brandy or a cognac Manhattan, I guess it speaks a lot to America at that time. Um, I don't know. I'm going to test your wine knowledge here. <laughs> Are we talking pre-phylloxera there? I mean, would there still have been a good supply of cognac at the time in the US? Because we know a lot of those early cocktails may have been cognac-based and then phylloxera comes along in, in Europe and kind of wipes out brandy stocks. Uh, or do yeah. you think folks were using American brandy? No, definitely calls for cognac, and yeah, that would have been that would have been. So yeah, it would have been a more affordable, more more common ingredient then. It's a good point. Um, it's a really good point. It's interesting, isn't it? As well, though, that like this is. I, I mean, we'll get into modern specs, uh, modern specs, but um, for all intents and purposes, as you mentioned, this is a cognac Manhattan, but it's not really one that gets called out a lot. I don't feel like, or, you know, even if you didn't know this cocktail, I've never really kind of been, had the urge to say, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to make a Manhattan today, but I'm going to use cognac instead. I don't know. I I find that interesting. Uh, I agree. I agree. Well, it was born of necessity. There's the backstory for us. I don't know if we want to get into it yet. Yeah, let's do it. So, yeah, I mean, speaking of, of wine and speaking of, um, you know, grower spirits. Uh, we sort of about 15 years ago, I mean, our thing is sourcing. Um, we're, we're, we're recipe is fascinating and kind of endless and important in, in, uh, talking about mixed drinks, but we sort of, our rabbit hole was sourcing, like looking for 
more and more particular kinds of spirits and um honestly more 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 wine-like spirits spirits that were more tied to um their agricultural origins than um mm-hmm. than um a brand you know so we got really into to brandies french brandies honestly was where we sort of got started most of all um so armagnacs were probably our favorites but but working with small small growers uh doing uh not the big houses of cognac but like uh sort of grower producer cognacs um and um of course also calvados we love you know apple brandy from from normandy oh yeah but um but um so we got really into these spirits and we um i i don't know it's sort of it was kind of about 15 years ago 20 years ago it just sort of hit it, it sort of became clear that american whiskey was going to be going to kind of was kind of replacing vodka as, as the most popular I mean, within in 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 sort of cocktail circles, um, yeah. And I don't know. I, I love American whiskey. I think for the for when it's priced correctly, it's um it's incredible value. You know, like I think like Wild Turkey One Hundred and One is is one of my favorite cocktail mixing spirits. You know, sensibly priced. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and great. But the, the sort of um at the same time. American whiskey, it's all about oak, right? So it's all about that blast of it has to be aged in new oak. So it's all about that blast of um charred oak. And the um the base materials of the whiskey are often secondary, right? Sort of commodity yep. quality, corn and whatever's in the mash bill, uh distilled to a relatively high alcohol by volume. And so you're not getting that kind of uh, you know, beery, grainy quality of the of the base uh, so much. There, more and more, I think, kind of geeky whiskeys are being made that way. Um, but, grain uh, to glass. Can I just complain yeah. here for a second about grain to glass as a phrase? Horrible. Terrible. Horrible. Yeah. Everything. Horrible. Everything ends up in the glass. That's why you're making it. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's horrible. It's horrible. I agree. Yeah. Um, yeah. Being. Yeah, I get inadvertently <laughs> allied with that whole. That's almost as bad as what is it? A uh, farm to bottle. Is that a, yeah, farm, farm to bottle. Yeah. Farm to bottle. Yeah. I'm but, sorry. Um, it doesn't just end in the bottle. If you want to be completely accurate, but I don't. <laughs> oh, want, I don't want to take this yeah. down a couple of tones. Farm to toilet. Um, <laughs> exactly. like, farm to how far does it go? Nose to tail. <laughs> farm no, to I don't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah so anyway we we were so it's just like chard oak chard oak chard oak you know and 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 mixing with that and pouring that constantly i mean the scotch had probably historically scotch had been my favorite in my 20s and 30s loved scotch and then scotch kind of underwent a similar like consolidation of scotch and and the grain being sourced internationally and then malting happening at central facilities. And mm-hmm. it, it, it stopped being that kind of beautiful grain forward, um, you know, thing and, and more and more and more like, like, like all spirits, more and more of a designed kind of, kind of industrialized flavor, you know, where you're turning dials and getting, getting this kind of getting, you know, if you taste Lafroy or Lagavulin, 
well, 30 years ago, you know, much more subtle and interesting. And then, mm-hmm. you know, Diageo takes them on and, and uh, they, it's sort of like California's in vanilla where they became this kind of, well, it, yeah, almost it, uh, got exaggeration or IPAs where it's just like, let's make it as peaty and as sweet and as, you know, so kind of subtlety falls out of the glass. Sorry. Or bourbon with your, with your alcohol. Um, yeah. And if you want to yeah. jump in here though, I Please. think it really is. It's kind of similar to that wine conversation, if you will. Like, this is a conversation about oak as much as the base ingredients mm. for the spirit, right? Like, yeah, bourbon, as you rightly mentioned, or American whiskey has to be charred new American oak. Whereas, you know, you're looking at cognac. It might be used barrels. It's certainly going to be European oak by law. It's more subtle. It's not as in your face as American oak. And Scotch, to your point too, as well, where you know you're using for the most part before the world became obsessed with finishing everything in sherry so that it tasted so sweet, which I do love some of those bottles, but using already used oak, exactly. it's going to have less of an influence on the final spirit. So I, I don't know. Listening to you talk about those things, I find it fascinating that this is a discussion we can arrive upon through the lens of the Harvard because I think that really is what we're talking about here. Yeah, fair enough. way to get us back on course. So at any rate, you can see the things I'm <laughs> no, interested in. But, but uh, yeah, so you're in a shea or, a, a, you know, what, what they call a rickhouse over there, and you're tasting, through, yeah, a, a small producer. And like you say, you've got second and third fill barrels. You've got, you know, small, large. Um, and so the whole, the, the, the whereas in, in an American rickhouse, you know, it's just like, boom, it's just like acres of 53 gallon alligator jar, mm-hmm. like, but so the whole question of oak and barrel and there's a whole, there's a, so you, you can find like, and so we're trying to get like small, like true, truly small batch, like one or two barrels mixed or even a single barrel uh, bottling and, uh, and, you know, working with people that'll sell us something that's five, six, seven years old. And anyway, so like, that's what we're super interested in. And uh, so then we end up with these spirits um, that are generally exclusives um, or we'll split a barrel with someone else or what, what, what a lot of people do. So then we found ourselves uh, looking for brandy recipes <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> or you, you, you know what I mean? So, um, so going through all the books and I mean, we'd all, we were, I mean, like you, we'd encountered the Harvard and probably wouldn't have been able to, to, to re- re- recreate it for you from memory. But, but yeah, looking through the usual stack of books that everyone was looking through, you know, 10, 15 years ago as they were all coming back into print and, or people were passing around PDFs or, and, um, yeah, the uh, so there's the there's the the I've never heard his name said out loud actually. Kapler, um, modern American drinks. Mm-hmm. Um, that that recipe that calls is a you know two to one cognac to sweet vermouth and uh, Angostura and soda. Um, and then like didn't love the the soda aspect. Um, and then actually it's in the same drink shows up in the Savoy. Um, without soda, so uh, yeah. and I, that's a—I mean, that's an old, an old bartender trick—is like, I mean, everyone's passing these recipes around, and as we know, everyone, everyone, you know, adds their own nuance to recipes, and that's what happens today. I mean, bartenders are also self-obsessed. It's they're always 
we're we're always going to kind of have our own version of it, um, and we're lazy, you know, intellectually lazy. Like um, it's it's um, not not necessarily going to be committed to the historicity of the drink. Um, but at any rate, uh, finding it in the um, finding it in the Savoy without seltzer, um, then. Um, we, and then it's, it, I think it shows up in, in a couple other books and, and no, no two recipes are identical. So then you sort of get a, a kind of, um, I'll give you some latitude and you're kind of in an area. So um, you, you freed us up to kind of mess around with, with recipes. Uh, basically, it's, a, it's, a, it's an improved cocktail, right? It's, um, mm-hmm. We see the addition of vermouth, which is cocktail being sweet, bitter spirit, um, sweet in the generally in the form of, of just a, of a, of a, of a syrup. And again, it's like it's it's cool to think at a time you know in you know early you know in, earlier in the in the nineteenth century where just ice, just having a drink cold um, would be remarkable, and just having a spirit from another country would, would be remarkable and yeah. you know, sort of dialing into these these early drinks technologies that we all take for granted now they're so 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 special so at any rate the original cocktails um the improved cocktail becomes the addition of a an, sort of an aromatic component usually removed um to um get that extra kind of tier of complexity so um and if and, we if we can if I can play devil's advocate here for a moment yeah, if we are you know, using this to to compare I guess the Manhattan versus the the Harvard because you know you can look at some of those classic drinks where people are like you yeah, well you know this was originally made with um co- uh, cognac say for example like the Sazerac and you right. can say okay was it rye or American whiskey or you know and I'll be honest I do not prefer cognac for a Sazerac than than rye whiskey but if you compare manhattan side by side against the harvard you can say well if you're looking purely at ingredients we're talking grapes with grapes in the in in the case of the harvard versus grain and full oak and grapes um for the manhattan i don't know so maybe you can be like it has it fits more naturally i i think so i think there's something to that yeah i think that those um those kind of tensions or, or, or clashes, like, I mean, drinks are such simple little machines that, that often if you're, you're engineering out things that might, might be not so apparent initially, but it's just the accumulation of 10, 15, 20 little decisions. And, and yeah, I mean, I think that that might be one of those, those sort of intangibles that, that shows up in the drink for sure. Um, yes. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, that's a great that's a great point so at any rate um yeah so, yeah, so that led you to I, I i would assume then what putting it on your menu or studying this drink because it fit into your philosophy of of looking for these spirits with more i guess we use the word terroir uh you can debate sure. that maybe it's a topic for another day but the idea of terroir um you were looking for vehicles uh to showcase those those spirits yeah exactly right and um i think yeah i think terroir you know in in that it would include the you know the wood of the of the vat fermentation and and all the the microbial life and i think i feel safe saying that you know the still and 
and um, you know the wash tons or whatever. It all kind of uh, distilleries definitely have their own their own terroir, though it's not strictly yeah. the the mineral content of the uh, you know the the earth um, that brew brew the base material. But at any rate, yeah. So you you've got it. So um, here we have a kind of a drink that could be anything. Um, and, and so we end up kind of speaking of the Manhattan. I mean, it has it has aromatic bitters and 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 syrup and and, and vermouth, and we get we sort of ends up being we love the Manhattan cocktail as opposed to the Manhattan, which has the which generally you'll see versions of it with like a little bit of curacao or a little bit of maraschino in addition to the bitters and the and the vermouth, and the, it just becomes a kind of just a, just a little added nuance. So we end up. I, Basically, whatever we're always going to have the Harvard on the menu, and it'll be it'll be with a different a different brandy, and it'll generally be with a brandy that's in in limited supply. So, where it's it's a rest because we've seen it in in, in so many different versions. Of the recipe, like I say, we we feel safe having a little latitude and kind of tweaking, tweaking, tweaking. So it's mm-hmm. it's one. So you know, we'll rework. You know, maybe it'll be equal parts. Uh, Italian vermouth and, and um, Armagnac or Cognac or California brandy. Um, maybe, maybe, you know, that ratio will change. Um, and, you know, and um, yeah, so we're generally kind of reworking it, but it's becoming some version of um, like a, a, a brandy, you know, Manhattan cocktail is basically mm-hmm. what it ends up being. But that's the thing about recipes, especially when you're like coming out of the Savoy and there are these, these hyper simple, like, perfectly fixed ratio um you know every drink is shaken and strained uh so it's so you know and this is a hundred years ago and um spirits are spirits and citrus and everything's inherently different than it than, yeah. than than it is now and you know you can't really adhere perfectly to 19th century early 20th no. century <laughs> recipes so that's the that's the little secret you know that um that uh people that don't make a lot of drinks may not know. Mm-hmm. And then what about, you mentioned that you will do multiple versions of this or, you know, maybe you'll tweak things depending upon the the spirit and where that's coming from. Um, but generally speaking, what is the, the flavor profile, the aromatic profile that you're expecting if you order a Harvard? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's, um, the, the, I mean, the aromatic profile is, is you get, you know, the beautiful, great born qualities of the vermouth and, and the great born qualities of the brandy. And um, it's, uh, it's going to be, I mean, the, the difficulty with, if you're not dealing with like the, the large cognac houses that just pump caramel into their, into their spirits. And you're, you're really having it dealing with a cognac that's like no, no added caramel, it's going to be pale in color. It's going to be drier, much drier than a um, than a um, an American. So an American whiskey. So that can be one of the things to contend with working with with like uh, grower cognacs or, or 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 small producer cognacs. Like um, get getting people are so used to that. We're so used to that big concentrated hit of sugar. Um, mm-hmm. from from new oak that you get in, in brandy drinks that th- these this these are this is a, a kind of a, a a more subtle less sweet less concentrated um 
arguably is kind of more wine-like uh, version of a, of a of a brandy Manhattan. I mean, sorry, and you of, of, a, those, of, a whiskey, um, of a whiskey Manhattan, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. And you mentioned those, I mean, I, I'm, I'm all in with you there on that, you know, that lighter style of cognac, maybe a drier finish. Does that, does that maybe inform us of why you do see some recipes or some versions of this recipe with gum syrup yes. uh, in the past? Yeah. yeah. Right. yeah. So you just don't need it in a, in a Manhattan, right? That's exactly right. Exactly right. Yeah. That, 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 which is hilarious because more and more, people end up throwing that right in the cognac to get, because yeah, I mean, the world becomes more and more accustomed to that, that, that sweetness. So yeah, exactly right. Mm -hmm. And that, and that, that becomes, I mean, I think we generally like, we'll, we'll have more vermouth to give it a little bit more richness and uh, add a different, um, yeah, different sweetening component. Like um, there, you know, we, for us, it's just like, we have, we have a set of favorites that we really rely on. Like, we really love the we, and often we were lucky enough to help develop or be a part of developing like the the Leopold Brothers Maraschino. We really mm-hmm. love because um, it's not again, it's not so sweet. It's not it's not using you know industrial sweeteners and, and essences. It's just a really beautiful, simple, natural product. But uh, so and maybe adding, and we also we have a we have a proprietary Curacao. It's a California carousel that's um also not not as sweet but um so at any rate like augmenting the drink with, a, with like in the Manhattan cocktail with a bar spoon of of maraschino to add a little richness um because, yeah is 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 what we're doing right now and how about we get into each of those categories now too because we you know we've touched upon different ingredients yeah. um cognac obviously being one of them um yeah, I think it's a great point that you mentioned just off the bat, though, that oftentimes what people are buying and 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 mass market, yeah, these are these these will be kind of artificially colored or you know, sweetness yeah. is 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 not what you would expect from the age of the the spirit, the amount of time that it's spent in barrel. Um, it sounds like that's not therefore the style of cognac that you're you're looking for here. You mentioned um, small producers. If I can break cognac down into maybe very overly simplify the category, I tend to find that regardless of age, I do find that two different styles, one being lighter, maybe more floral and fruity, another heading towards that more kind of uh, dried fruits, uh, nuts, richer, more decadent. Um, Which of those styles would you be reaching for personally for this drink? Well, I mean, generally, the, those those when you talk about dried fruit or you know nougat or rancio or like those are generally going to be older, mm-hmm. um, more expensive. So I think we're 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 generally dealing with lighter, uh, younger to mix in drinks, younger younger spirits that that have a little less age. Um, so yeah, definitely more. Yeah, getting into the the, the aromas of, of of the grape spirit, more floral to use to use your word. Yeah, that that style is definitely the one we're working with. And is more. that purely a, a a cost consideration? Because obviously, younger is going to be you know cheaper, relatively speaking. Or is it also because you think that profile works better in a mixed drink? I mean, it's 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 both. 
it's both definitely both i mean mm-hmm. we're drawn to those spirits um because we we once you start to get in i mean i i think the whole public is you know if you i'm old enough that i was making you know cosmopolitans for for years and then what it's been watching the watching the the consuming public get more and more interested in spirits and and so bourbon bourbon ends up being it's not so complicated generally it's a very it's kind of a it, you're not getting the sense of that that grain generally um but then we see people getting into rye and rye you're seeing ah this is rye versus corn it's generally a little spicier you're more engaged in the in the um in the base material right you're tasting what it's made Mm -hmm. from um which you know based arguably from prohibition to like 2005 no one wanted people got in the habit of, of of a drink being something that disguises the flavor of their medicine right so i think what mm-hmm. what, what people call the cocktail renaissance is is when we're coming back into contact and appreciation of um you know bitter flavors the flavors of the spirits um spirit driven drinks you know um and then with that so people become interested in rye then we see agave spirits now like we see people are into really heady um flavorful you know agave you know like like small producer you know distillados you know declassified mm-hmm. mezcals like really filthy interesting fermentation and 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 and, and simple distillation so people are, are now you see people are getting more and more into just tasting like that's all about like well, this 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 agave piña that was roasted and caramelized and fermented, and like people are really into um, getting more and more into what those those base ingredients uh, impart to the um, to the spirit, you know. So I think that's a, a, good, a great way to phrase it. Or you know, I haven't heard it kind of positioned that way, but the idea of you know this this cocktail renaissance being about a return to appreciation of the base spirit rather than trying to to cover that up as you say cover up your 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 medicine in a way i think that that really is it and i'd never considered it that way um it's interesting that some of those drinks are now coming back though i mean you mentioned the cosmo we we've seen something of a, a second coming or a third coming actually for that drink these days then the espresso martini, yeah. like again, I don't know where that fits into this conversation because I think we're we might be regressing with drinks like that. There, 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 there's nothing wrong with them, but maybe there is some regression going on there right now. Yeah, is it? I mean, I've been at, like I, I have I have a three year old, so I've sort of realized like I've sort of been out of, and obviously COVID. I I feel a little disconnected from from you know whatever trends but i think yeah i've been asking her like was that was that ironic and i guess it really wasn't the espresso martini um rebirth well i mean uh, you ask alanis morissette everything's ironic so i don't know but it's probably alanis morissette ironic yeah no no i think it i don't know it's we've spoken about i've spoken about this before and something I scratch my head about, which is this celebration of nineties culture right now, in particular fashion. I just, I don't know that why that that is the decade that we've currently chosen. 
Uh, I don't think it was a great time for fashion, but again, maybe that's because I'm a millennial. Uh, and nor was it the best time for drinks, probably. Um, see yeah. the Martini and Cosmo. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 when I cut my teeth. I mean, the '90s is when I got stuck in this trade, and yeah, I mean, just like making <laughs> having a wall of vodka behind me and making you know. <laughs> Just endless, you know, uh, you know, like absolute citron splash cranberry, absolute Cosmo citron Cosmo, you know, gray goose orange tonic splash orange. It just is like endless, endless, you know. So you, you'd be putting up these rounds that were like ten vodka drinks, each one subtly, you know, augmented with something, and you know, and then yeah, mm-hmm. it just uh, it was so and. and and then knowing, you know, knowing in, in you know, the mid-90s what a Sazerac was and, and drinking whiskey and, and uh, it was, it just felt, you know, incredibly lucky that there was this, this whole shift, you know, that came mm-hmm. out. And, um, and to, to your point earlier, I mean, I think that it only kind of agrees with your argument, the fact that prior to this, if you wanted to make, you know, we talk a lot about how rye whiskey, basically you had two brands available to you, maybe three, when probably I would imagine at the time that you were starting out and now just look how exciting (laughs) rye is as a category. That probably speaks to the point of, yeah, rediscovering cocktails was showcasing base spirits. And if there's more demand for base spirits from the bartending community, then people are going to make it. And look at, look at that incredible landscape that we have now yeah i mean i definitely i think we i think we hit the high high watermark and i mean i'm firmly x you know and uh i think what what do we call what comes after you z is that what it is i mean um i think i think that this most recent generation i I don't know i think we've sort of seen a return to well, like I think a lot about the vape pen, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and, and white claw and, um, <laughs> that, that, uh, you know, it, it becomes, we're sort of re- returning to the kind of cynical, like drug delivery system. You know what I mean? Like, um, so, oh, to, so. We, we, we ran an article this week. Um, if, if you're listening to this when it comes out, but you know, on vine pair about, the vodka water. Now, this was a phenomenon yeah. that I had no idea about, but people are out there and they're saying, you know what, I'm just going to drink vodka with water because soda's too bloating and all I want is an alcohol delivery system. I'm like, I just don't think, you know, we all like getting buzzed. I don't think we should deny that as a part of why we drink, but really, vodka yeah. and water. Yeah, it's come. It's so utilitarians but i mean it seems like it's sort of like yeah the vibe is kind of like what will we drink on mars you know what i mean like i think uh just yeah (laughs) the the delivery systems like it will be little sachets of 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 solid alcohol just exactly exactly yeah what what will tax the supply chain least you know um, <laughs> have we found water up there yet by the way how are we doing with that <laughs> I, you'll have to ask someone else i mean <laughs> if i were 28 and standing behind the bar i'd manufacture some bullshit answer for you that's for sure 
<laughs> All right, though, but I, I guess I should bring this back to cognac in a way yeah, here for the heart. Yeah. It is the it is it is the uh, the 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 main the base spirit here. So you spoke about you're going for a uh, a lighter lighter version there or um, lesser aged. Are there any no pressure to? But are there any brands in particular? You said you like to go for something you know a lot more exclusive where you might be buying a barrel or sharing a barrel. But what about next tier up from that small producer but who you think is doing things the right way and you can generally find in the u.s if you you go looking for it yeah um this is where this is where we're difficult um and this is where spirits are difficult because there's everyone wants that like you know middle-sized producer for under $50. That's pretty good. That, And it's kind of that kind of middle's fallen out. I mean, consolidation is a really, anyway, it's a really real, it's, it's, it's hard not to end up sounding kind of joyless, but um, in terms of, you know, buying spirits for the last 25 years, it's like watching consolidation happen and watching, um, people buy and sell brands, you know, um, yeah. like, in, like in fashion and, and there's no obligation to make things in the same way, you know? So, so, um, what, what's in the bottle now with a certain label it was, it was not in the bottle 10 years ago, tequila, yeah. bur- bourbon, entirely different stills will produce mm-hmm. the same spirit. And it just, it's all, it's all marketing and labels. So, I mean, it, and like Most it's kind of can be for the better, but generally speaking, yeah, the, the yeah, the for sure. So, I mean, I, I will say that that we work with a with an importer, and and he's in like Chicago, New York, um, Dallas, and more and more. And there's more. I mean, there's kind of this great this consolidation where where there's less and less sort of small production stuff, but then there's also greater. There's a kind of calcifying audience you know that that really is committed so there is sort of ironically growing demand while it's disappearing from the planet but but look for like charles neal selections and um like there's a a cognac producer called um uh dudonion d-u-d-o-g-n-o-n that's that's the brand i was going to call out yeah i was going to ask you yeah and that's that's i mean i'm stoked to see how many places i see their stuff and that they're that you know they're they are a small producer, like in Cognac, there's real security in just selling every year to the big houses and 99% of small producers do. Um, but, uh, there, these are the, the, the these, uh, folks, um, bottle under their own label and sell under their own label, no added caramel, no added color, uh, which really mm-hmm. is, is almost unheard of. So yeah, do not know it's great. Um, mm-hmm. great. And, and what uh, about, Go what about it. American American brandy there too? Because, you know, I'm I'm keen to hear your thoughts there. Is this is this a like for like substitution, or do you tend to find? I mean, obviously it's a case by case basis, but if we can try and speak in some general terms, uh, are you are, are you getting the same profile as a cognac, or you know, are you maybe adjusting this recipe when you're you're opting for that um, domestically made brandy because. There are small rumblings of of comebacks and whatnot. I still feel like it's very very small production, but yeah, how do you feel there? Um, 
it's hard to, I mean, I would say that, that, that all spirits run to the, um, basically any Brown spirit. That's not, um, that's not true, true rye or true bourbon where you're literally not allowed to add anything. Um, which I, which is actually one very, very cool thing about American whiskey. Um, pretty much any Brown spirit out there, like, like 99% is going to have added caramel glycerin, uh, caramel color. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's, I mean, like for us is just trying to find stuff that doesn't have those additives is a big, is a big part of it. Um, it, and that's, again, that's spirits, dirty secret, like, you know, mahogany colored prestige, right. That's what everyone wants their brown spirit to look like, you know? Um, so if you're, if you're heady, like it sounds like, you know, you're, interested in this kind of thing as well you might like a really pale you know isla scotch that that has no definitely has no caramel nothing added you know um so you get this just like blast of grain and and um there's not this preponderance of of charred oak and sugar you know what i mean but just like like everything like getting getting sugar out of your drink um so it's like i'm digressing forgive me but basically the last 15 years we've just been like we just launched our um, uh, a vermouth, uh, an Italian vermouth. We're working with Bordiga, and we're like, we want a vermouth without caramel added, um, without you know industrial beet sugar, um, which is that that just incredibly like sweet bleached mm-hmm. out, you know, which is beet sugars and everything European. It's not. It's just like a notch above corn syrup. It's just this really sweet industrially extracted sugar. Um, which starts happening in the 19th century. So it's a little less like industrial than corn sweetener, but it's just a, this bland, it has no connotative flavor. So it's like Nebbiolo, uh, real cane sugar, no extracts, no added caramel, like just getting a vermouth. Uh, so we're just, just, uh, just, so we developed that. And then, you know, like the Maraschino, the Curacao, making our own bitters because Angostura has, you know, tons of caramel in it. Peychaud's has, I think, you know, Peychaud's has food coloring and corn syrup. And it's just like, it ends up being so much work to just get crap out of your drink. And then mm-hmm. most, most, you know, there's no obligation to advertise what's in a spirit. So just like if everything has caramel, glycerin, whatever, you know, color. So, Blah, blah, blah. Um, so basically, like anything we can find that, that's like doesn't have crap in it. So th- that's to say that in California brandy, you're going to be, I mean, the Corval and the big, big, the big ones that everyone sees, um, those are just like totally stepped on. So, um, mm-hmm. so which is to say, in answering your question, what are you looking for in a, in a California brandy or what would the profile be? The profile of every brown spirit is going to be sweet. Um, very, mm-hmm. very little sense of what it's made from. Like if you, most people, if you put a California brandy, uh, an aged molasses based rum, uh, a, a sort of large scale American whiskey, people aren't, and they taste all three. They're not going to say that's from grapes. That's from grain. That's from sugar byproduct. You know what I mean? It's just, it all tastes mm-hmm. like that kind of brown spirit, sweet mahogany. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And I feel like, in this respect, 
maybe the best way to go if you're if you're buying and you may not be able to taste it, um, depending on the store, go with your eyes then. I mean, if something yeah. doesn't have an age statement, chances are it's going to be young. And if it's young, chances are it should look a lot lighter than you're used to from that yeah. age. Isn't it? I totally agree. If something, if an age spirit is light in color, I'm inclined toward it. I think odds are it's going to be more interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, that can go the other way as well, though. This is a digression, but, you know, some of the earlier iterations of craft American whiskey, I will say, were released (laughs) early. Yeah, Yeah, like three gallons. Three gallon barrels. Yeah. (laughs) But I think, again, yeah, I don't know. There's there's also, I think, there's examples of where we've seen now of producers putting out stuff that's two years old that will blow your mind. And I'm like, okay. Maybe yeah. it's not all about the age. Um, you were mentioning a, a vermouth product there, a project there that you're, you, you've been working on. Um, if we do transition into that part of the drink, okay, I think you've, you've, you've told us enough to let us know that ideally you're not going to be using some of the bigger producers here because they're, they, they, they likely contain additives, but just pure style what kind of vermouth are you looking to for this? I'm assuming it's sweet, but are you going Italian, yeah, French? For sure. Yeah, Italian. I mean, like, yeah, we really like the the like the um, Dolan Bordiga. Those 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 off the shelf are, I guess, Chambry, right? What used to be this kind of independent state that was across the border of France and Italy in the Alps. Um, so there's a style of vermouth that that happens in that area. Um, that the kind of the Italian version of it, Bordiga, and the French version of it, Dolan, both are so lighter bodied, a little bit more wine like. Um, both of those brands are really good. So um, we were Bordiga are friends of ours, and and um, like I say, that we've just cut, we've just worked up a vermouth with them that's unique mm-hmm. to us, and and we'll, you know. To, to plug will be available on our website November 7th. Anyway, there's something like the, this is a great conversation. And in terms of drinks, like, I mean, for uh, here we see journalists, writers, people like yourself, the truth is out um, that it's not that hard to make good drinks. You know what I mean? Um, that they're, the idea of the, the bartender being the one I think and COVID really took this all the way home. Like people are making great drinks at home. And in terms of making recommendations of, 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 uh, for, for, for what to buy to make drinks, like I would say, start with the cool spirit. If you're working at home, you can get something a little bit more, you know, get a 60, 70, 80, even a, you know, a hundred dollar, um, bottle of spirit, get some, get, get some really beautiful sugar or some, you know, and, um, you know, a, a beautiful vermouth. And you got to remember, you're going to get 15 out of that. So people will buy a, a $20, $30 bottle of wine and not think twice. Um, but when they see a $100 bottle of spirits, it's like, well, hold on. But you're going to get 15, 20 drinks out of that. So it ends up yeah. like a dollar per drink thing. It's about the same. So like, yeah. get, So like for me, like I'm very Northern California, like I'm very like ingredient driven food you know, like get some beautiful lettuce, get a nice tomato, some nice olive oil, 
some nice salt, some nice pepper, some nice vinegar and, you know, make a salad. You know what I mean? So for me, like drinks are very much that way. Start with some, some beautiful stuff and, you know, look at a, look at the books and you'll see that there's about three drinks that were ever made. And it's just, <laughs> it's just, you know, it's just plug and play and balance. Like we we're saying about coffee, like mess around with acidity and sweetness and concentration and dilution and temperature and just make drinks. And, um, the thing about recipes that was cool is it's like music. If you're in this business and I know you, you can relate, like you can read a recipe and if it's like green chartreuse, um, you know, wild, you know, um, Rittenhouse rye, um, aromatic bitters, patience bitters. It's like, it's like reading a piece of music. You don't have to taste that drink because um, you can read it and you can read the ratios and you can know exactly what it's going to taste like. Um, oh, 100%. And, and one thing that's that's cool, that's why recipes are so cool, but it's also like large branding has kind of seized on recipe because that's why you know, like Negroni Week and it's like Campari and, you know, like these things that are, we, we call them like um, Casio drinks, like, you know, a Casio keyboard where it's like this, it's like this perfectly, uh, I'm, not, I'm not a musician, so I shouldn't be talking about music, but it's like, it's you play a note and it's like it's 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 on pitch and whatever and it's like a it's a perfect note but it's just it's kind of this like engineered kind of tinny like not incredible flavor mm -hmm. so like for us like Peixot and Angostura and Campari and Aperol and like these are all like they all have like sweeteners and and uh, they're all very engineered flavors um so there's this kind of suite of 30, 40 ingredients that everyone's using. And it's super cool because I can read a recipe and be like, oh, I bet, you know, uh, if, oh, that has Laphroaig and this and that. And like, oh, I can taste that and it's fun. You know what I mean? But that's sort of like recipe-driven drink making. And then, then the, you know, that'd be like, well, you're making a Waldorf salad and you need this and that and this and that and this. And there you have mm -hmm. your kind of archetypal canonical salad, right? Or, or you can go to the market and grab a few things and you can mess around. You know what I mean? So I think if you're you making drinks. Ingredient driven. Yeah, exactly. So we're just like, and I, we thought it would catch on and it hasn't. Cause I mean, with, well, that was what was so funny about the drinks renaissance is like, there is this five year moment where it's like, brands were kind of out in the cold and, and bartenders were determining the culture more and bringing back old recipes. And then boom, brands figured it out. And now you've got like Negroni week and blah and blah. And it's like, they're, they're, they're cementing the brand's relationship to historicity. Right. So especially like old, you know, whatever Benedictine, which is owned by Bacardi actually. And, you know, it's just like they're trading on historicity and, and, their their inclusion in old recipes becomes a part of that. So um, there's a whole kind of it's all anyway. Thank God I'm on a podcast for people who are interested in this kind of thing because um, it's, <laughs> no, it's you know sorry, fascinating conversations and and you know definitely I, I I appreciate it too because on the one hand I feel like we could have started this episode and gone well the Harvard. It's a cognac Manhattan. Good job. See you next week, guys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
I appreciate and I, I and I and I'm sure the listeners will too as well because I think a lot of these conversations are um the bedrock of of how this movement has evolved and like you say there's there's very cynical ways to look at certain things but there's also many things to be celebrated too so it's just I mean that's the that's the world yeah, these days anyway Absolutely I mean yeah you it's just like you look at the savoy and it's like it's about 30 ingredients and there's just like endless common, endless combinations of, of base spirit with, with Italian or French vermouth and, and any number of like aromatic components that were available. It's like, yeah, just, just at home, get a, get a nice bottle of something, get a couple of vermouths and just mess around. I mean, there's, there's no drink that hasn't been made on some level. Um, yeah. So we'll finish the, 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 the ingredient lineup for this one. Um, of course, of course, of course. And that would be the bitters. So Angostura there, we're talking classically for this drink. Our yeah, seasoning. We, I mean, like a lot of people, we make we, Angostura, which is uh, the most famous uh, aromatic bitter. Um, like a lot of people, we make our own aromatic bitters. Um, and um, we use the um, Charles Baker recipe um, for nice. our orange bitters and our aromatic. Yeah, very, very timeless simple recipe um but but uh yeah angostura is good again it's going to give you that blast of sugar you know what i mean <laughs> yeah so here's the cool thing about the next part of the uh the episode here you get to talk us through the preparation or the build of this drink for yourself in an ideal world so you're like this is if someone tasked me with making the best possible version of this cocktail, this is what I would go for. This would be my spec and this would be my ingredients. Um, I mean, like, like we were saying, making good drinks isn't, isn't so hard. Like I think more and more people are, are just making them at home. Um, but the one thing that the one advantage you have, if you're sort of in the business is, is ice. So, I mean, a big part of making a drink in ideal circumstances is, is good ice. Um, so we, we work with a, a Klein bell, which makes large, you know, 300 pound blocks of ice that we break down into larger chunks. So stirring a drink with, with, with a couple of really nice sort of three inch big bricks of ice, um, where you can get, the drink nice and cold without over diluting it the way you might with ice you pull out of the uh the freezer at home so so nice hard large ice with less surface area so um I, you know and again like we said it sort of depends on which vermouth you use which which brand you use but uh then i would start equal parts um cognac italian vermouth um add a, add a bar spoon of uh maraschino um, Leopold Brothers Maraschino is the one we love. A uh, bar spoon of gum syrup. Um, again, we make our own gum syrup, and gum gum hat the syrup has that 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 emulsifying um, gum arabic. So it just imparts a little a little thickness, a little texture, and a little bit more sweetness to the drink. Um, and then um, yeah, three dashes uh, angostura or ar- aromatic, and there's like scrappies and. They're all different kinds of, you know, especially in um, in New York. There's a couple of bitter stores that have uh, mess around and try different brands of aromatic yeah. bitters. And again, look for the ones that are pale in color because uh, they won't have the added caramel. So 
uh, yeah, three dashes of aromatic bitters and stir until, I don't know, stir probably. And any, any you know, this being the kind of uh, ideal scenario here, any preference on cognac and and vermouth brands? Like I said, maybe maybe ones that people can find or maybe yeah, you're going like, no, you know absolutely. what, this is my, my ultimate yeah. version here. Yeah, the 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 red bordiga, um, or there's a, like some you're seeing now uh, the Mulasano um, Italian red vermouth um, from the bar in in Turin by that name. That's they're sort of actually that's made by Bordiga for the bar Mulasano, um, but that's a that's a really beautiful Italian you know, t- you know tur- Torino style um, red vermouth. Um, Italian vermouth, sweet vermouth, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah, so, and then uh, keep a nice, uh, we're, we're not working with stemmed glasses as much, um, but, but a nice sort of thick uh, walled glass that you pull out of the freezer. So it's got a nice, it's retaining tons of nice cold temperature uh, from the freezer and, and strain the drink. Um into uh into that glass and and then garnish with a, a zest of orange nice it's orange yeah. are going there i've seen some lemon yeah yeah i mean i i think with those italian vermouths like orange are kind of christmasy can be nice but lemon's fine too lemon can be kind of cleaner more acidic uh yeah either nice yeah um and then enjoy then please enjoy <laughs> responsibly responsibly very nice and and so your glassware preference there just briefly is that based upon what you prefer to use at the bar what you have at the bar or is that is, is is there some deeper thinking going into not using stemmed glassware um it's a it's a combination of a number of things i think like a lot of people i got really that it's kind of 12, 13 years ago, the, the Nick and Nora that you were seeing, and we all saw people using in New York, and then we all started using it. And, um, but they're, they're, I don't know, the whole kind of like art deco, stemware, that whole aesthetic, um, just got, got a little tired of it. Um, also, the glasses are sort of thin and a, a nice kind of chunky glass that holds its temperature, you know, that you pull out of the freezer can be good. Um, I, I had a, like a while, I don't know, six or seven years ago, finally went to Harry's bar in Venice and they serve their martini in a little, you know, little, um, tumbler. Um, mm, I like the occasional tumbler martini. I got to say. Yeah. So, yeah. So we're kind of into tumblers lately. Um, that'll, I'm sure that'll change, but at home, Definitely like like pulling a tumbler out of the freezer, um, but I mean it can also be fun, you know. If you have, if you whatever you like, the visual of a nice vintage glass, like you know, at home we all have like those collections of eight nine sort of one offs that we found in vintage shops, and it can be nice to pull out a mixed you know bag of uh, stem glasses out of the freezer. Yeah, just keep them in the freezer. Um, nice. Yeah. Um- any final thoughts then on the Harvard before we move on to the final section of the show where we get to know you a little bit more as a, as a drinker and a bartender 
or any other thoughts you just want to air out there? I mean, we put a lot out there today. No, I just, um, just a big proponent for, for making drinks at home and get a nicer bottle, um, you know, for the price of around these days in San Francisco or New York, you can get it set up to make yeah. uh, a couple of weeks worth of really beautiful drinks. So, um, yeah, get a couple books, get a couple bottles and, and start messing around. And uh, I'm well with you on that one because I get, you know, I hate, hate this notion where people are like, oh, that's sacrilege to put that spirit in a cocktail. Right. Probably a lot of people are basing that on price, but it's like, if it costs that much, I expect it to hold up. Yeah. And I think that's honestly because they're used to it being mixed with um, other components that are crappy, you know, like not to be a broken record, but, you know, if you're putting in all of these like mass produced um, complementary ingredients that have caramel, glycerin, you know, flavored with extracts and yeah, that, that would be a waste, but yeah, I just like to think about a salad with beautiful tomatoes or beautiful lettuce. If you have awesome olive oil and awesome salt, you know, it's going to be, why not? Why wouldn't you have the best yeah. lettuce? Also, it's like, you know, all right, we all love a fresh tomato, but if someone's going to, if you buy the best tomatoes you can come across at the market and you're like, tonight I'm making a red sauce for some pasta or whatever, <laughs> no one's going to turn around to you and say, that's sacrilege. What are you doing? Right, exactly. It's like they yeah, should it's, they should hold up. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, it's just like that. So really beautiful ingredients um, mixed with other beautiful ingredients are, are going to be great. Nice. All right, then, let's do it. Let's get into the uh, the five final questions here to finish the show. Feeling ready? Yeah, I think so. All right, let's let's go. Let's let's kick it off with question number one. Which style or category of spirit? typically enjoys the most real estate on your back bar? Well, yeah, uh, grape-based brandies, you know, lots of those, as, as discussed. So Armagnacs and Cognacs, and um, we, work with, we work exclusively with a couple California producers. And, yeah, so mm -hmm. lots, of, lots of those. I'm assuming you're very pretty happy then that, you know how everything has to be the next something, like... This brand yes. is the next Pappy, or guess what? Armagnac yeah. is the next bourbon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. How happy are you about that? <laughs> uh, it's mixed, you know. Um, it's mixed. I thought the market was going in that direction, and sort of like coffee and chocolate, like the sort of there was going to be a third wave of spirits where people were really into single origin spirits, but um, yeah, it hasn't happened as much as I anticipated. So. I don't know whether you've ever seen The Sopranos or maybe you may, might have even given it a rewatch during the pandemic. I know a lot of people did there. But I, I myself was one of them and found it funny that um, Artie, the chef, I mean, you know, if this this will mean nothing to you if you haven't seen the show, but the chef buys into this scam and it was an Armagnac brand that he puts money up for and they're like, oh yeah, it's going to be the next vodka. And I was like, wow, I thought this was relatively new where people are talking about how cool Armagnac is. But that was, what was that, late That's, 90s, early 2000s. So wow, they're ahead no, of their time there. That. That's incredible. That's incredible. Yeah, it was kind of funny. Yeah. Um, that is. All right, moving on to question number two. Which ingredient or tool do you believe is the most undervalued in a bartender's arsenal? 
Well, I mean, I'm sure the obvious answer is ice, but I think, I imagine, I mean, I've heard people say that a number of times. Um, Yeah, I mean, ice, but that's no secret these days. I mean, really beautiful uh, ice. It's just like, it's just like, you know, using a a nice gas range to cook instead of, you know, an electric one. It just, it's everything. It's probably more arguably more important than the, um, than the ingredients. Uh, so not a ice. secret ice. And then maybe are going to try to think of something people haven't heard. Humility. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I think humility, understanding that it's bartending is, is not hard, um, with a few principles in place. Uh, anyone can do it. Nice. I think two, two great candidates there. Um, and yeah, like that ice, you know, that's, Maybe the one thing that that is different about bars and people's home bars. So if you can start doing that at home, you know, you really do propel yourself to the next level. Um, good one. It's true. Yeah, it's true. Question number three. What's the most important piece of advice you've received while working in this industry? <laughs> um, God, I don't know why the, the thing that's... Uh, the thing that comes to mind is a, 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 it's not good advice. It's just <laughs> such fun. It's just such funny advice. Um, and it's so indicative of this business, but it was a guy when I was first opening my own place, a guy I'd worked with for, for a long time, a mentor or someone very successful. Um, but he said, don't, don't pay them till they're going to sue you. <laughs> um, anyways, terrible, terrible advice, but it's just funny. It just like the, this business, the restaurant business is, is brutal. Um, bar business is brutal. Um, but let's see. Um, that's a, I mean, that's a, that's a funny one though. And you know, yeah. I, I, many people do live by that in the industry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sadly. Um, but I think, um, yeah, I mean, then, then just don't, don't touch your face. Don't touch your face and hair back there. That just is a huge one. Got um, it. Think about your hand. I mean, that's the, the the thing about Japanese bartending is they understand that their hands are their kitchen tools and they're, they're, they're always using tongs and they're just that kind of immaculate. That that That's kind of the thing that separates Japanese bartenders from American ones often is that, that level of cleanliness and hygiene and, and performance. So anyway... Nice. Uh, I like I had, that. I, yeah. Definitely a new one for us. Um, question number four here. If you could only visit one last bar in your life, which one would it be? I mean, I just have a real emotional relationship with, with uh, La Floridita and Havana. I like uh, lived in Havana for about nine months once and have been there many, many times. And that, I don't know, that bar is just this little time capsule. Um, yeah, probably that's, that's the first one that comes to mind. So nice. that has to be, that has to be the, um, that's a pretty iconic the, the choice right there. Yeah. All right, then final question for us today. If you knew that the next cocktail you drank was going to be your last, what would you order or make? 
again, I just got to trust the first answer is uh, that comes to mind is T punch. Oh, um, yeah. Wonderful drink. Yeah. Going out with a little just, bit of customization there. Yeah. Just so raw and elemental, you know what I mean? And no two are the same. And, and, um, yeah, I mean, rum agricole is kind of the spirit that got me thinking about like, wow, why this tastes crazy. Why mm-hmm. does it taste this way? And that got me into, you know, further into the glass. So real emotional relationship with, mm-hmm. with, uh, agricole rum and, and tea punch. Yeah. It's an intellectual category for sure. And it's been an intellectual episode today. Not only uh, because the cocktail sorry. is in the Harvard. <laughs> um that thank you so much for joining us today it's been a real pleasure and and yeah a really interesting conversation here likewise likewise it was really 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 fun to talk to you you know a great deal and your perspective is super interesting so thank you i appreciate it and um yeah next time i'm over there on the west coast that's uh or, or or otherwise vice versa but i'm sure i'll probably be out there first look forward to raising a glass Okay, that was a lot of info, but here's the good news. Every single episode of VinePair's Cocktail College is also published on VinePair.com as a transcript, so you can check it out there all over again. Also, if you enjoy listening to the show anywhere near as much as we enjoy making it, go ahead and hit subscribe, and please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, or Stitcher, and please tell your friends. Now for the credits. Cocktail College is recorded and produced in New York City by myself and Keith Beavers, VinePair's tastings director and all-round podcast guru. Of course, I want to give a huge shout out to everyone on the VinePair team. Too many awesome people to mention. They know who they are. But I want to give some credit here to Danielle Grinberg, art director at VinePair, for designing the awesome show logo. And listen to that music. That's a Darby Seaside original. Finally, thank you, listener, for making it this far and for giving this whole thing a purpose. Until next time.